it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkyard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. And this week, we meet mining engineer turned publican, Aaron Rigg. Aaron's story is like many who have come to find themselves working in craft beer. He fell in love with the products, became more and more interested in the company of some mates, and then, after a few beers, found himself as a part owner of a craft beer pub in Maitland. As you'll hear, there's a little bit more to the story than that, but there's also a lot to the journey that Aaron has been on. Aaron is also a management consultant, and having spoken with him about his journey over the years, I've always been impressed with his insights and his ability to express what he's learned and the mistakes that he's made. I thought this would be a useful chat for others interested in getting involved in the industry to hear about the highs and lows what Aaron's learned, and also what he would do differently. It's a great chat about buying into the beer business, why you would do it, but then also why you may not. And I hope you enjoy it. Aaron Rigg, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Lovely to be here, Matt. How are you? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. And thank you for joining us. And uh, as I said in the intro, this is a story that I, I, I think is a great story to tell. As the publican of a you know a great regional craft beer pub that's now for sale, uh, <laughs> I'll say that up front. But it's been an interesting journey for somebody who came to it from outside the hospitality industry. And I think your story, having watched it for you know the six, seven, eight years that I have, was well worth sharing. So maybe maybe tell us a little bit about before we even talk about beer. Tell us a little bit about Aaron Rigg and you know what your background is before you even got involved in uh, you know being the co-owner of a uh, of a craft beer venue. Ah, uh, yeah, sure, Matt. Well, um, thanks for that. And I guess you know this isn't a, a sales plug, but yes, the business is for sale. So <laughs> we'll cover that. We'll, we'll cover that off straight away, so it's fully transparent. Um, I guess, you know, talking about an origin story for, for Aaron Rigg, yep, uh, the Poor House features in that, um, have had it now um, in a couple of different iterations of ownership since um, since 2015. Um, so, you know, right on the cusp of the, the craft beer introduction or independent beer uh, scene into Australia. Um, but you're right, you're right. It's not sort of where I was born and bred and how I uh, came into it. Um, originally from a mining uh, engineering background and uh, grew up about as far away from the east coast as you can in Australia in the Pilbara um, but you know through through my life ended up in the in the, well I was going to say God's country but I kind of you know steer towards Queensland at being that these days but ended up in the Hunter Valley um, and interested in in the beer scene and I think you know we've referred to things as uh, a gateway beer in the craft beer industry, or certainly they used to years ago. Um, I remember having some Cooper's beers, um, a Han Premium, could be a dirty word these days in that scene, I don't know, um, and just enjoying beers um, that had flavour and weren't your typical your typical Australian lager. Um, the, the wife and I, we travelled to, to 
the US in the 2010, 2011, somewhere there, and and I saw the the local microbrewery scene in the US, and particularly Portland, Oregon, just just blew my mind. And mm. as a result of that, I'd um I'd managed to well I I'd met a uh, uh, who would become a business partner, um, a mate of mine at the time in uh, in the mining industry. And and as it turned out, he'd 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 been around beer for a long time, and particularly craft beer and running events. And you know, we just started a I don't know, not for profit or just this this little hunter beer league it was called, where we would just run events for the cost, and we were trying to educate the the Hunter Valley um, and introduce them to some of the great breweries that were starting to appear back in the you know 2011 2012 range. Um, the poorhouse just come back, uh, come by way of a of a conversation. I think it might have been at a, at the bitter and twisted beer event. Uh, festival. <laughs> this is starting to like um, so many stories. A couple of mates were having a beer and thought, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> is, is that basically <laughs> where we're going? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, it wasn't even me. I wasn't at that event, but I got a uh, I got a call after that from my business partner at the time, who I who I bought it with, who said he'd actually been speaking to the uh, the owner of the poorhouse at the time, who was uh, potentially going to sell it. And then, lo and behold, you know, a few months later, we were we were picking up the keys and and walking into a craft beer venue, um, where, as I said, you know, my extensive experience of of beer had been uh, drinking it uh, through uni, <laughs> and then uh, and then running some tasting sessions. So it wasn't quite a novice, but certainly uh, I'd never worked in hospitality. You know, never poured beers, never served people. Um, uh, you know, in a professional sense. Mm. So yeah, and I guess for for when you when you ask about Aaron Rig, I mean at the time I was um, I was looking for something different, something out, some other outlet from my career um in in the mining world and um i was contemplating further study to do an mba or should i buy a business and (laughs) And um, get a practical mba uh, which i think as we're going to discover you've got yeah yeah yeah, it's probably a nice way to put it but i um (laughs) i certainly um i actually enrolled in the mba as well and then after two semesters i went actually i'm learning way more in just running this pub particularly when we get into some of those lessons um so i ended up putting the uh, the mba on ice and and to be honest i don't think i'll go back to it um i think the the practical lessons over the last eight years have just been so um yeah so so invaluable and expansive um in all facets of life and and particularly i mean i've I, i've transitioned i now have a, a management consulting business um here in australia which we do um and the, the lessons from small business ownership uh, in the hospitality world and what you have to deal with um, and how that translates across other business, there's a lot of parallels. So That's your background. Um, the, 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 the poorhouse that, that is the pub that you are now co-own, had, as you said, had a little bit of a life before you even came to be involved. And my understanding is that it was a sta- it was a and it's a beautiful pub in Maitland. What, what's the name of the hotel itself? Because the business is the poorhouse that you run now. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, well, it's all it's kind of all been bundled up under the poorhouse mm. from a local perspective. But originally, a um, a tooth's exchange hotel. So, um, yeah, the work. 
the work I did uh, to understand the, the origin of the building and the pub itself, I think it was 1860-odd it was built originally, um, operated as a pub until uh, 1940 or 30s. It burnt down, um, which I came to learn a lot of pubs seemed to catch fire. <laughs> which, um, <laughs> Have you thought of burning <laughs> it down? I cannot comment on that. There may be some reasons behind that. Um, and then... You know, it was rebuilt in its current incarnation in the and reopened in the 40s in sort of this Art Deco um, uh, design that it is now. That beautiful although, classic yeah. Art Deco style hotel with the uh, tooth sign on the roof, although there's a letter missing, <laughs> which adds yep, character. Yep, yep, yep. And all the tiles, you know, the tiles across the front, the tiles inside. Um, I, was, I was fortunate enough during the first couple of years as part of our reno to put a whiskey bar in, uh, whiskey room in to to find in the National Library Archives a whole heap of photos of it when it was in its original um, format as an art deco. Um, so with the front bar when they had the swill bars back in the day, um, as well as the all the tooths beer cards from each decade, which, um, you know, your listeners may be familiar with. I certainly had no knowledge of that. But that was just amazing to read that and to see the history and how information was recorded and all the notations, all the fines by the police that were <laughs> jotted down, you know, 10 quid drinking on a Sunday, you know, doing things when you shouldn't have been doing. So we were able to get copies of all that and, and frame them and, you know, they stand pride of place in our in our, um, in our whiskey room. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the... Where the, where the poorhouse originates. So it has been a long time with the Exchange Hotel. Um, I believe in the 90s it closed down, um, sat dormant for a while, then reopened as an antique shop for a period of time. Um, and it was in, it was, it would have been around 2010, I suspect. I think the building was purchased and um, the, the, the two guys I bought it from um, they were they they were only in there operating it for about eighteen months, um, but they had to do the hard work around getting the liquor license and doing the fit out and all that type of stuff. So um, the poorhouse as it stands today, we 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 sort of say established in in twenty thirteen. I think it was November twenty thirteen was when it uh, it first first poured its beer under under the poorhouse name. And uh, I understand that the there was a partnership that did that, that, uh, again, fell apart, um, you know, after 12 or 18 months that led to you getting the opportunity to, to buy into it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Essentially, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, but the outgoing owner, he was one of the, it was a 50-50 partnership. And um, from what I've heard, and it could be completely untrue, mm. who knows, but um, it was that, yeah, they, you know, mates, long time, um, stood the venue up, got it up and running, and then at some point in that first, I'd say it would have been in within the first year, um, that, that that partnership dissolved and then ended up uh, um, as a sole owner who we bought it off. Um, which, you know, I'll be honest, when we bought it from him, I could see the challenges that, you know, a sole proprietor um, or sole owner would have in this type of industry. Um, I saw that uh, on his face pretty much when he was selling it, you know, running... At that stage, open six days a week, um, but working seven days a week, 
opens, closes, managing staff. You know, there's there's actually whilst you call it a small business and serving beer should be fun, there's there's a lot of moving parts in a in a in a pub, um, particularly in one that's probably on the on the bleeding edge of the craft beer scene in a blue collar working town like like Maitland, New South Wales. So, you know, I think we had some insight into what um, work was ahead of us. Um, but still, that doesn't prepare you for actually getting in and rolling the sleeves up. It, it, it's funny, though, because you know, Newcastle has always been, you know, of which the Hunter Valley is just outside of in, in Maitland. Um, you know, Newcastle was always a, a very early to, to craft beer in Australia. There were some great breweries that opened up in the region, but you also had some really um, you know, forward-thinking, supportive bottle shops. Um, you, you've got an Air Force base there, and as it was always explained to me, you've got miners and um, you know, young uh, service people um, who are earning pretty good money and looking for a, a, a way to spend it. And craft beer was one of those interesting things that, uh, that they could spend it on. Was there that attitude, you know, in Maitland that you know we're part of that sort of region, and it, was that a fair characterisation of the of the region? Yeah, I think that's fair assessment. I certainly, well, working in mining and being close to that, my my lens was obviously informed or biased by that the money that's available in in uh, in the mining game. Um, I know, you know, buying it at the time you mentioned, like Murray's was in Newcastle. Um, uh, Potter's Beer was Potter's Beer Brewery mm. out at Nolcabar. You know there was a couple of there's a couple of these places that have been going for quite a long time and making good beer, um, really good beer. And um, you know I, I guess I saw that as well. This has to be viable in some regard. Um, you know one of our decisions and through our process we looked at a venue in Newcastle before we before we settled on on the poorhouse, but. Um, it was kind of, do you want to be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond? Um, and yes, Maitland was close to home at the time, um, so that was a benefit. Um, but we also had this view of let's take craft beer regional. And we, you know, there's always your knockers, we get that, and particularly people that want to drink two is new or, you know, it seems to be great northern these days, whatever it might be. Um craft beer was something totally different right and to do that in Maitland was a bit uh a bit different and a bit of a an adjustment for people but we could see the potential and we had run those tasting events on and off for a couple of years with really good feedback um to see the lights go off in people's eyes that there's more than just a lager you know and the different types and styles of beers um we we were buoyed by that when we when we when we took over the poorhouse and and we had this view that you know um, in in time which hasn't played out but in time maybe there was an extension to uh, move further up the, the Hunter Valley um, with a second venue um, Singleton or wherever to to get some economies of scale more in the management you know back end side of running a business. Mm. Um, uh, but that didn't come to fruition. But yeah, yeah, you know, to your to your point, yep, Newcastle had a strong scene, and you know, there's a lot more um, craft venues or micro distillers and micro brewers and all that scattered around Australia um, and the Hunter Valley. Um, but Maitland, you know, for 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 all intents and purposes, still is a pretty 
a pretty strong market. There's not a lot of players in that region um, that that do what we do, mm. um, and and we kind of we always hung our hat on the fact that we were we remained true to to what we believe was a, a genuine pub, right? No no gambling, um, no none of that. You know, we we saw ourselves as a as a public house where people come and have a conversation. They're not on their phones, they're not playing pokies or what have you. Um, and we still, to this day, get great feedback about the atmosphere and how good it is to to go back into those pubs. So, you know, that's something we wear with pride, I guess. Mate, one of the things that jumps out, you know, because you're the, 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 the partner that you bought the business with, um, I, again, I know him. He was based in Brisbane. He would come to my beer events um, in the early days, and I think you know he he had uh, you know like monthly gatherings at his house where he'd have people around, and I, I was invited as a guest. You know, God, we're talking about probably two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Um, you know, that were just very social, and they they were great fun. You know, and it, it, it's great fun to have a bunch of people around, some amazing beers, um, some good food, and talk and drink um which sounds like the things that you were doing were just that little bit grander a little bit more organized but at the same time it's very different from being a business like it's something you almost do it's not even a side hustle it's just a fun thing to do that i I think a lot of people then go shit wouldn't it be great if i did this all the time as you know as as a business and that's where you suddenly realize that we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> doing it once a month for, for mates is very different from doing it seven days a week and having to pay bills. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yes. And look, I think, um, you know, on on that point, it's it's kind of like um, doing, it, doing it infrequently. It's a fun event. It's something to do. Um, you also don't have a cost base like you do when you have an establishment, mm. um, you know, and that's like utilities and rent and all the things that, um, you know, I guess my financial background and previous life's taught me or, you know, helped with that. But just understanding the overheads, you know, your fixed costs versus your your variable costs, etc., cetera, um, and realising how many beers you need to pour each week or each day of each week just to cover <laughs> You know, your fixed costs, it gets real, real quick, right? And um, there, there are days that you're yeah. open as a community service because you're not even covering the wages bill, let alone contributing to some of those fixed costs. 100%, 100%. And I think, you know, that that understanding of the numbers, you know, one of our other owners, he's he's got a great um, sort of uh, catch cry where he just always says, learn to love the numbers, right? Just learn to love the numbers. And... It steers our decision making, but you're 100 percent right in that. Some days you do open, um, you are opening at a loss, um, but that understanding that spawns that innovation or that marketing arm, right? So you you got to recognise the asset you have, um, which in our case is a is a venue uh, with a liquor license that enables us to do all these things. Um, how you untap that potential comes down to how creative you or your team are. And I think that's the thing, you know, there's many ways you can be passive, sit back and hope people come in and spend their money. Um, I believe that's where, you know, venues that have the gambling stream can somewhat, you know, can be somewhat a little bit more passive income, um, live off those returns. 
Whereas for us, it was it's it's about it's always been about engaging with the community, um, sponsoring um, local clubs, sporting clubs, or what have you, um, building that rapport or that relationship where you know we're an integral part of Maitland and they're an integral part of our business, and arranging or organising things on those days where where it is uh, typically quieter, you know, Sunday trade. Um, or Thursday evenings, you know, doing events, etc., like that. You know, I, I don't know every bar's takings, obviously, but, you know, I'd surmise their, that most of their trade is Friday, Saturday night, <laughs> and it's, you know, 70 80% of their trade for the week. So you're 100% right in that the rest of the week is, you know, typically um, a public service um, being open. But that's, one again, one of the things that I've seen venues make them, you know, a small venue and um, you go oh look you know it's small it's intimate this is exactly what we want you know and on the tuesday wednesday thursday night when it's fairly quiet you know you'll have a dozen 20 people in and it's lovely on the friday saturday night <laughs> that it is busy and you do get a bigger crowd quite often the venue isn't big enough to actually make the money to cover the costs um for the rest of the week um, you know, you, you need a venue that is geared to the busy nights is both a nice venue, so it still retains that character and doesn't have that yep. party pub feel, but is also big enough to get enough people in and generate enough income to mm. to, to maximise the, 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 the busy nights. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and I think, you know, talking from our experience there, from when I when I got the keys in 2015... I think the whiskey room fit out was in 2016-ish, something. No, it would have been later, maybe 2017. Um, our timing always seems to be incredibly flawed. We uh, we invested in a beer garden in December 2019, just before <laughs> COVID. Uh, and then COVID came along and took everything off the rails. But, you know, we've increased our footprint to enable that. We were always had this... We always had this reputation of, you know, what a great pub sitting in there in winter when it's, you know, cold temperatures in Maitland. You're sitting in the poorhouse, very cosy, fireplace cracking in the whiskey room, lovely. Um, but then in summer, we, you know, the first few years was like, geez, how good would it be to have a beer garden? So we were able to, um, to, to get access to that space with our landlord and, you know, invested quite heavily in that, um, in blood, sweat and dollars. And, um, you know, yeah, despite the fact that COVID hit, that that asset remains that beer garden, and to be able to sit out there, you know, in the Maitland uh, spring summertime, etc., um, that that sort of you know taps into your point around creating it so you've got that space. We we essentially doubled our footprint with that, but it also is a different feel, right? Some people like to sit in the bar inside, um, sit on the couches, relax. Other people sit out the back, and 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 I will say that. You know, there's good and bad with every technology. Um, some people are a bit anti the, um, uh, you know, the the QR code ordering and things like mm. that. But they, but 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 we've seen that, you know, particularly in the beer garden. You know, using that, you could be sitting around the table with mates, deep in conversation. You don't have to get up and go get a beer. You can order. Um, you know, so I think, and probably you know, on that systems conversation as well, the way the industry talking about, you know, trade by day, by hour, by stock type, um, the insights and the cloud-based nature of 
um, all the technology that's available. Um, it's just, it's incredible these days, you know, real time. Um, us, us, us owners, we're all scattered around the country now from the poorhouse, um, which is, which is part of the, the reason why we're, we've got it on the market. But, you know, at the click of a finger on the app on the phone, you can be seeing how the trade's doing. And, you know, your staff are enabled to make, um, better informed decisions, um, on the day by the hour around, staffing levels and mm. um you know you might be quieter two days into the week than you anticipated so can you do something you know can you market something can you throw a special up there um engage with social media etc so you know yeah i don't know how we got onto this topic but i feel like well, mate, it's, yeah, it's a conversation <laughs> but I, I, I do i do just want to jump back um to when you said you've got the beer garden now and you've 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 done these additions over time that have you know increased the capacity you know given you know um you know various areas that cater to summer and winter um but at the same time their cost you know i've watched you do that over the eight years you didn't just go in and go and say this place will be fantastic if we did this 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 and this because that's a significant capital investment that you either have to repay or you do it gradually and Mm -hmm pay as the income comes in which you know again both of those decisions have very different you know um costs yeah 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 i've always believed in you earn the right to grow um and um you know potentially yeah in 2015 could have gone in thrown a whole heap of cash and done a whole heap of things but you also, you know, it takes time to generate that reputational capital and relational capital. Um, and when we walked in there in April or March, you know, 2015, we were, we were nobodies, right? And um, we had to build that relationship with, with landlords and the local community. And, you know, we've done a lot of great events with um, in the Maitland area with the Maitland Regional Art Gallery. I mean, yourself and Paul West were part of that. It was a great night. The, the feedback and um, the response from the local community to that. Um, Oktoberfest, closing the street to pull an Oktoberfest party. You know, we, we've navigated all that, and that comes over time of being a trusted partner um, in a regional location. And that that includes, you know, when we bought the venue, it didn't have a full um, hotel liquor licence. Um, so we weren't, we weren't allowed to um do takeaway sales um so that you know all of that engagement um stakeholder engagement with liquor licensing and the council um and the licensing um police that takes time and effort right and energy and um you don't know how long it will take and what you need to invest but if you're a good steward and you are working with people with the betterment for the region um and the location you know good things tend to come and so so for us you know back to building you know the earning the right to grow um i i suspect if we'd have gone in there day one and said oh we want to take over your car park and put a beer garden in it would have been a very very hard no but after after a few years and doing the right thing um yeah no brainer you know i mean we had to stump up the cash for it but then it then it came back to an a uh 
ROI discussion around, well, if we double our footprint, then what's the payback on this? And the numbers, you know, stacked up well in the favour of, of investing in the beer garden. But then um, you need to get the people in to generate that return. So it's not just having the space. You then need to drive yep. that space to get people in in the first place. Correct. And that's a marketing piece. But it also, I mean, I'll touch on that. It's like, you know, if you can wind back the clock pre-COVID, that'd be great. Um, but what happened there is completely out of our control. And, that's, and it's probably another lesson and learning from being in a customer facing you know business um is that there's a lot of things outside your control um how you respond to them is is really a test of of, of the wherewithal of the business and also you know um our integrity but but um you, you're 100 right that um you can invest in things and and we did a lot of things like in the beer garden ourselves purely from a financial perspective but i also i also take pride in you know, albeit rarely, getting on the, on, you know, on the on a shovel and shoveling some dirt and doing some things like that, um, to to put some of our own spin on things and 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 I believe, you know, when when I saw those places in the early 2010s in in the US, um, and also travelling through New Zealand and just seeing the quaint nature of a lot of their older pubs, I had that vision. Um, I had a vision for, you know, and the other owners as well when they came in that that we would be able to transform the, the poor house from just being a uh, an internal venue into something a bit bigger. Um, and, yeah, there's a cost to that, but I still believe that um, that beer garden and the spaces as, as they are now um, will, will pay dividends for years to come. Stepping back just a, a little bit again, um, yeah, and please correct me if I'm wrong, if if, if my uh, sort of summary of it, but it, it it sounds like the initial decision to to get into the business was a bit of a flight of fancy. You know, you, you'd done these events, the opportunity came up, you had somebody who was very enthusiastic that had taken a redundancy or was available to work in the business, um, which allowed you to be, I guess, a little bit of a less hands-on owner. Um, is that all a fair summary so far? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, okay. Yep, that's fine. Yep. But then, <laughs> so, so, so you went into the business, but then your business partner left the business very suddenly, um, leaving you, you in uh, pretty much full control or full uh, running, um, which I gather is something that you hadn't initially anticipated. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, you know, coming from from an engineering background uh and before buying in you know flight of fancies yeah there's definitely definitely a desire or you know i'm a, I'm a bit of an eternal optimist so i thought ah, oh, what could possibly go wrong right um and you know the story well but i won't go into it for, for others but um there are things that hit you from left field that no risk assessment will ever identify <laughs> okay. uh, and that's a story for for another time but you know, essentially, we we had worked it out, you know, and we looked at what are the risks and what's the potential. So, you know, is craft beer a fad? Um, what about this? What's the rent cost? All that type of stuff. Yep, okay, I think we've got a pretty good handle on this. Oh, what happens if, you know, something, you know, the week, actually the week we bought it, Maitland had one of its notorious wet weather events and the, um, the mail, the gent ceiling actually collapsed. And that was maybe a bit of a sign for some of the challenges that were coming ahead. Um, so, you know, things, th- 
things happen. And, and yeah, my, um, my role initially buying it with a mate, there was just the two of us was that, um, I still had a full-time job working up in the mines and, um, it was, it was something of fun and, you know, I'd help out run a few events cause I enjoyed that. But, um, I was for all intents and purposes, um, a silent partner, right? I thought the skill set I'll bring will be the, the, the business acumen, um, and the social connections, um, you know, playing with the local rugby club and all that type of thing. Um, and, and my partner would run the business. Now, you know, in the, in the first sort of four months, I think we'd only had it about four months before he, um, he exited suddenly. Um, revenue had gone up 25 or 30%. Um, the things that we thought were achievable um, were coming to fruition. So we were very bullish that the business plan we had and what we believed would, would, would come to fruition was actually materialising. Um, I will still say that at that time, even four months in, we, we were still learning. We hadn't even been through two seasons, right, or two quarters. So there's a lot of and, – and I will. You know, I've, I've had some great advice and I would, and I would always say – now, I guess before one of the lessons I learned before I bought a pub was I saw um, professional services like accounting and legal things as as more of a cost, whereas now I see it very much as a as a benefit. Um, so some of the advice from some of our good accounting and, um, and and legal personnel, you know, on and off over the last eight years has just been absolutely invaluable, and I would always advocate for that now. Would you have done anything different up front in terms of the, you know, did you have a partnership agreement? Did you have anything formal other than just a couple of mates shaking hands over a beer saying, wouldn't it be great? Um, we had something which we referred to as the good bloke rule. Um, <laughs> and it's, 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 it's stood its test of time pretty well. Um, but essentially, in all, in all cases, just be a good bloke. Um, now... After after what happened in that first partnership, um, I will say that when when the new the new team came on board, that we did actually put a shareholders agreement um, in place, um, and that was at the advice of our of our lawyer. and And I again, I advocate that, and I tell people to do that now in other you know in my management consulting arm, um, I talk to people about the benefits um, of doing such a thing, um, and it's not. You know, well, people probably all know this, but, you know, it's only when things go pear-shaped are they useful, but having those clear expectations and everything um, in, in crystal clear clarity is very valuable. Um, but no, no, going back to the original purchase, no, it was it was the good bloke rule 101. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I guess, again, this is something that we could sort of talk about um, you know, endlessly because it is it, it 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 is fascinating. We've talked a little bit about the business and the you know the, the overarching business decisions. Hospitality is a very specific beast, though. Like there there is really, uh, I think a lot of people think it's just a matter of turning up and you know smiling at customers. Um, and it, it's it's a wonderful industry to work in. You know, managing staff in hospitality, managing kitchens in hospitality, um, you know, all of those things. How have you, what, what have you learned through that process? Was it a surprise that it was harder than you thought? Yeah, I, I mean, I alluded to it earlier with there's a lot of moving pieces, right? Um, and I feel that, uh, well, having spoken to 
some publicans or management from from big venues um, where they've got you know significant income streams and um, different department managers and all that type of stuff. Um, it's different, you know. I think at our at, at our at our um, height of operation, we probably had ten, maybe twelve staff. Um, so there's not a lot of redundancy in a small business. Um, and I think you know the the one thing. Um, oh, well, there's plenty of things I learned, but um, you, you're really only as good as your people, right? Um, unless you're in there day in day out, or not day in day out, but you're close enough. And I guess that was never the model for me. But um, your management team in a small business cannot be just management per se, right? There's a it's it's a working manager role behind the bar serving customers, changing kegs, all that type of stuff. Um, so I guess that's where, you know, when my partner, uh, business partner exited, it was kind of, that was a, that was a, a massive um, lesson for me because I'd gone from, you know, pouring the odd beer to now oh, you actually got to learn how to, to clean lines and change kegs and everything else. Um, and again, the small business piece, just looking at the, well, social media is a marvellous thing um, in, in a lot of respects. Um, the ability to reach your audience and do your own marketing um, versus trying to outsource that. Because, again, you know, in a small business, when you're crunching the numbers about um, overheads, um, what, what are you willing to pay for? So, yeah, I was... I was working full time in the mines and I was coming home and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie at that stage before the, before the, um, the other owners bought in for that period, I was uh, coming home and doing the books or doing the social media posts or, you know, designing menus for events or you name it, right? Liaising with council to get licences. So Did you have kids lot. at this stage? Because again, that's another, uh, without hijacking it. <laughs> The decisions that you make before, you know, life events like have, having a children and a family are often very, very mm. different, you know, than the attraction of doing some of those things once you've got a young family. Ah, hundred percent. No, 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 kids, mate. Well, two toy poodles, but um, <laughs> they, I mean, we thought they were kids at the time, but um, then we had twins, and yeah, that's what that's what really having kids is like. So no, no kids, and yeah, certainly that decision. Well, the decisions at the time around buying into something this like this, um, yeah, they're influenced by your by your circumstances. Um, I think it became more challenging. So, uh, I, th- I, was, I think it was twenty nineteen when 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 we you know the current ownership group formed. Um, but the period from seventeen through nineteen, um, I established my consulting business, and I. Uh, I was, I think I did something like 300 flights across those two years across the country, east, west, predominantly as well. So, again, I was another layer removed and um, the, the challenge or the time, um, available time that I had was diminished further. So, you know, I we, we were very fortunate in uh, a manager came in might have been in 2017. Um, we were a bit hit and miss in, after our business part. My business partner left in 1516, but we had a we had a really good manager uh, join us in 17 um, for a few years. And um, yeah, that was 
and when I say manager, really good front end as well, front of house, hospitality professional. Yeah, he was a great, he was a great resource for the business, um, and yeah, probably, probably wouldn't have been able to have traded as well as we did without him there because I had seen, I had seen revenue halve under poor management, right, and um, then I also saw it um, jump back up when the right people were in there. So yeah. But you got to remember, I was doing a lot of this from remote mining towns scattered through the Pilbara uh, at the time, so uh, very hard to 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 keep tabs on on everything, and also provide the coaching and guidance that a lot of um, a lot of the hospitality people, you know, in our business could have benefited benefited from. But very conscious of time, and again, we could talk endlessly about some of the, these details. But the the, the big question: um, Would you do it again? Knowing what you know, knowing what you've been through, would if if you were standing there talking to some mates about taking on a craft beer pub in 2015, would you do it again? Um, the lessons learned have been invaluable, as I said earlier. Um, the the creative license and the agency to do things in a small business. I don't. After working in you know multinational companies, the the small business owner freedom is just um well it's hard to articulate to be honest um, is it worth the pay loved, cut <laughs> uh, well, i've kept working in my other job the whole time yeah. so i probably can't comment on that i think at the right time in life um you know we we've had some inquiries with the business being for sale and, mm. and there are some people at that later stage of life that you know they've worked long hard you know and they're at that point where they could see this and, and yeah serving beers and being a publican you know that's good fun right if you can if you can make the 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 salary work um i mean just on that point the hospitality market and and everyone would know this but the 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 staffing costs um over the last five years have increased exponentially you know and that people see more value in more managers uh, in managers now and the skill set and what you actually need to pay for them, right? Um, so, so it's not. I would say, like when I first joined the industry, you know, staff were paid relatively low. Um, certainly after COVID, I, that's not the case, right? Um, I think people are getting paid. Um, well, certainly in our business, they're being paid well, and. Um, you know, we were we were open four days a week, so four day a week and making good money. So um, there's a bit more of a work life balance, I feel. Um, to your question about would I would I do it again? Um, I probably I would definitely do this. I wouldn't change anything from this piece. The the lessons, you know, you can't put a you can't put a price on. If someone said to me tomorrow, do you want to buy into a pub? I'd probably say I wouldn't say no, but I'd say not right now. Um, and that's from my experience. After eight years in the industry, um, running another business, traveling all over the country, you know, twin boys, um, there's a time and a place. Yep. And and I feel that, you know, we've created a, a, a wonderful venue. We've got a, a, a great legacy. Um, we've all learned significantly. We've invested. And there's a, I, I don't like to use the term asset because it's so impersonal but you know 
from a business perspective, there is a wonderful asset sitting in a great location in the country that's that's currently for sale. And and look, my hope is, I think I said earlier, our you know all of us are now scattered around the country as the owners. You know, our hope is that um, someone someone uh, uh, will buy it and continue that legacy on. And it doesn't have to be in the same um, same incarnation that it's always been, but there's just such a great platform there and such a great community that it would be a real shame to see um, to see the poor house not continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the and the reality is, um, uh, it will do better. The opportunity that for that business lies in someone either working in it or being very close to it to to enjoy the fruits of their labour, you know, and the fringe benefits that come with having a venue. Um, you know, like that. I'm talking about having some beers and chatting with mates, and you know that type of thing. So. Mm. Again, just a couple of last little things. I love the idea of earn the right to grow. One of the, the the rules you had. Are there any other lessons that you know things you would have done differently, or lessons you've learned that can be boiled down to nice little uh, you know just rules like that, or lessons like that? Well, yes, um, I've got a couple prepared. Um, I guess as a, <laughs> I guess as a management consultant, I, I tend to trade on a fair few of these lot of edicts or whatever you might refer to them as. Um, look, for for me, um, I read the I read a book um, by the Starbucks CEO years years ago called "It's Not About the Coffee," um, and there's a line in there which I've ad libbed a bit, but it's basically we're not in the beer industry serving people; we're in the people industry serving beers. Um, you know, just reframing it, like craft beer. One of the things I was very clear about initially, as much as I like craft beer, is that you know, craft beer won't sell itself. And I think in the in the uh, initially it did, but with the saturation of the marketplace, you still got to have good food, good venue, great customer experience. So I think that you know that that statement around being in the people industry serving beer um, will will carry on through time. Um, I, I also I, I went to a um, business startup instigator or something years ago, a guy called Ernesto Soroli, um, who activation actually, uh, international guy. Um, and he came over just as we were looking at the poor house originally. And one of the key things, which I'm sure is not new to a lot of your listeners, but he drew three circles on the board and one was operations, one was finances and one was marketing. And basically, you know, a Venn diagram to say you won't find a unicorn that can do all these three things. So in any venture, make sure you um, play to people's strengths and make sure you have clarity and, and strengths in those three separate areas of, of operational, financial and marketing. And that is 100% true. And I have empirical evidence over the last eight years to, to validate that. Oh, mate, I, I think there's a little bit of gold in in some of those. So thank you for uh, sharing them. It's uh, mm. worth worth the uh, price of admission. <laughs> My pleasure, mate. Well, My for pleasure. us, uh, we didn't have to invest in a in, in a pub to uh, to get them from you. So, uh, mate, just as we close out uh, out of the chat, the. the Poorhouse is for sale, if, um, and we're recording this on Thursday, the sixth of 
July and expressions of interest close on Friday the 14th from memory. So anyone who, who may be inspired by listening uh, to this uh, will have a day or two by the time that this drops to, uh, to, to get in touch. Yeah, yeah, well, it's actually close of business Thursday the 13th. Oh, Thursday the 13th, okay, so there'll, there'll be a yeah. couple of days. So act quick if you're listening and, and it's it fired your enthusiasm. Yeah, correct, mate. And it's not, again, it's not a sales plug. If you're listening, you know, there's some information. It's on the Brews News site it's, and it's on the, it's on our Facebook page. There's links there. You know, some of the links to some of the fun things we've done with with uh, Oktoberfest and Paul West and some of our events. Um, and then, yeah, just links to more of our business sale, et cetera. Uh, and uh, again, you know, I... As somebody who's watched you and your journey through this, it has been fascinating, and I thought it would be uh, great content. But you know, somebody who's also been at some of those uh, uh, events um, and and watched how you've done it, um, you know, they, they've been great to be part of. It's a it is a wonderful venue. So hopefully, uh, we will see it um, continue. Uh, you know, once you uh, go on with what your next projects are. Yeah, look, really appreciate that, Matt. And and I guess you know, to, to wrap up. Um, we are, we are genuinely so appreciative and I speak on behalf of the, all the owners and all the people that have been involved in the staff with the poorhouse. We are so appreciative of the local support, the community support, um, the opportunity, the privilege we've been given to, to run our events, to grow within our community, to do, you know, events with the likes of yourself and Paul and, and others. And it's just such a, yeah, I would never have thought sitting there in 2014 at my desk in a mine that I would have been able to have this experience and um, to to be able to sort of have a chapter like this in my life. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I'll get plenty of years run out of telling my boys as they grow up about the time Dad owned a pub, <laughs> and and and, he, <laughs> and they'll probably want to know why I didn't keep it. But anyway. Um, yeah, so again, just a Well, a really they can listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's one good thing. So, yeah, yeah, again, just very much a heartfelt um, uh, uh, gratitude to, to everyone for the support over the last you know, eight or ten years all up. So. Good on you, Aaron. Uh, Aaron Rigg, thank you for this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You take care. And that was Aaron Rigg. As we mentioned, the poorhouse in Maitland is for sale with expressions of interest closing in a few days. There's a link in the show notes if you think you might want to benefit from Aaron's experience and also from his hard work. But if you already work in the brewing industry or if you buy into the brewing industry and you're listening to this, you're not alone. Our listener feedback is that Radio Brews News is where the brewing industry and its decision makers turn to for their insight and analysis. So it's a perfect audience for you to reach with your message as well. Now more than ever, you should be investing your marketing spend in media that gets results and is heard. Just ask the businesses such as Rallings and Bluestone Yeast about our reach and the impact that our podcast advertising has had on their businesses. If you'd like to find out more, shoot through an email to sam at bruisenews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. We'll be back this Friday with Bruise News Week with our discussion of all of the news of the week and our insights and analysis of the last seven days. Thanks for listening.